Sunday of Advent. Advent is all about anticipating Jesus coming at Christmas time. I didn't grow up observing Advent. It was kind of a new concept to me. And uh, I've been learning more about it and learning to appreciate it more. And I really think we need to observe Advent to the calmer hearts and reorient our hearts as this tidal wave of consumerism washes over us. We've been surviving Black Friday and Black Saturday and Black everything. And maybe you'll survive Cyber Monday and whatever blackness washes over us. But the flyers have been getting thicker and thicker and thicker. And we're killing more trees to sell more stuff to keep our economy going. Now, I don't want to sound like a grinch, and I really empathize with folks who are in the retail business hoping to break even in more and, and keep the business open this year. I totally understand that. But our society misses the boat in the whole Christmas thing, right? So it's, it's good for us to kind of quiet our hearts. And what Bodo was trying to teach the kids, and I think we got across, is the whole idea of watching for Jesus, being observant, and uh, being intentional about uh, and, and anticipating what's going to come. Now, in order to do that, we have to be able to see and uh, to be able to watch what's what's coming. Right? When I was a kid, I had some serious vision problems. I was a bright kid, so I got to school and I could already read. My dad taught me to read with flashcards, and I was doing fine. And I was doing so well in grade one, they put me in the grade two at Christmas time. They didn't tell me, I just ended up in a different hospital. And it's like, oh, your friends, it's okay, I'll be here. And they found out uh, partway through February because I couldn't see what was on the blackboard. But I could read, I was doing well. But I couldn't see what was on the blackboard. So off I went to the eye doctor. And I came home with, you know what I came home with? Glasses. At seven years old. I remember as a little boy walking around my dad in the field of my dad's farm, taking off my glasses, saying, Oh God, please heal my eyes. I don't want these things. And it didn't work. That doesn't mean I gave up on God. It just means that, okay, well, I guess I'm not the best that I'm going to wear glasses. It was really challenging during high school sports. A basketball game, if you didn't watch that peripheral vision, you'd you know, get hit from the side and explode. Playing football wasn't so bad because I didn't play without them. I played on the line, so I just had one yard to go, hit the guy in the opposite, a different colored sweater, and then when we played defense, I just turn around and go the other way. So it was pretty straightforward. But uh, there were some, you know, some challenges. And then when I was 20, with my very first real decent paycheck at the summer job, I blew it all on a pair of contacts. Although, if you've ever worn contacts, you can know the stories of sleeping and leaving them in and all kinds of problems. So, life went on until uh, just a couple of years ago, just before I came to field, I went to my eye doctor because I was having problems with sight business, sharp as I thought. And she said, Rick, I've got great news. She got all excited. I was like, oh, You've got cataracts. Why should I be excited about cataracts? It's not a good thing. No, you don't understand. You can have surgery. 
So I went to the dentist and they looked at me one eye at a time. And all of a sudden I could look up and I could see what time it was in the clock across. And I could see Lynn, I could really see her. It was awesome. It was really nice. And I could I learned how to go swimming and open my eyes underwater. Now in Manitoba, when you go swimming, you can't see anyway underwater. It's so murky. But in other places in the world, you can see where you're going underwater. And it's awesome. So it took me a while to get used to this new reality. The story we're going to look at this morning is a story about Jesus healing a man who was blind from birth. I can't imagine the experience this person. It's not like he had previously had sight and lost his right back again. Generally, just never being able to see. So I share that experience about me with my relative and friend. Well, not too long. It's just included in this, just to give you a bit of perspective on what must have happened to this person in this story. Now, to follow along, we're going to look at the whole chapter of John nine, and, and, and with all due respect to the song that's been sung about my sermonizing this morning, it's not going to take that long. But if you want, we have a piece of really new, up-to-date technology that would help you follow along with the sermon. It's, it's a, one of those red book things in the pew in front of you. And if you want to turn to page 818, you can turn to it and follow along. Like, I don't have everything in PowerPoint. It would have taken me like six years to put everything on there. But I will just go over the story and tell you the story. The story basically is divided into three acts, three sections, okay? John chapter 9, page 818 in your pew bodies, um, we get the story. By the way, did you know that people only see what they want to see? Did you know that? We'll get into that a little bit more, but I want you to stick that phrase in your minds as we go through the story. People only see what they want to see. All right, act number one, the healing. Jesus is leaving the temple. He just had a row, uh, an argument with religious authorities, getting in trouble again. And uh, as they're going along, you see a man that was blind from birth. And the disciples asked him this famous question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that was born blind? Now, if you've ever struggled with major illness or something like that, maybe you've had this experience. Some people, <coughs> well-meaning or not, will want to figure out why are you sick, why are you suffering, what happened. And some of them, if they have a religious bent, they may not ask you directly, but they may kind of infer what did you do to deserve this. This was a common question in Jesus' day. Here's someone who's born blind. Okay, Jesus. Now, the disciples didn't really care about this person. They weren't really concerned. They just wanted, they just had some theological curiosity saying, what happened? Okay, so Jesus, whose fault is this guy who's born blind? Was it, did his parents sin? Or was it him who sinned? And they're referring to verses in the Old Testament that say that the sins of the fathers and grandfathers are visited upon subsequent generations. And what that means really briefly, is the sinful patterns in our lives have ripple effects and consequences for subsequent generations. Now we can pray those off, we can pray out family curses and things
like that, that's something we'll cover another time. But just keep that in mind. That's kind of the milieu they're operating in. Okay, someone sinned. Either this guy or his parents, someone is to blame. They didn't really ask out of concern, they were just curious. And Jesus says, guys, you're missing the whole book. You're missing the whole point here. And he says, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in this man. Just, just watch. But Jesus says, you know, as long as it's day, you must do the works of him, the Father, who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He's just finished doing that in chapter 8, talking about the I am the light of the world. Now he's going to prove it. So what he does is something very unusual and a little bit gross. Jesus took some dirt and he <coughs> spat into it and he made a little paste and he put it on the man's eyes. Gross. Why did he do that? I don't know. But it seemed to have worked. And then he sent the man across the city to the other, well, across the other part of town to go to the pool of Siloam. Does that sound familiar? Go to Siloam. Go to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. He didn't even ask the guy if he wanted to be healed. He just, he just did it. To his credit, the blind man did as he was told. Which is kind of amazing. So the man went and washed and came home. Well, did he like came? No. He came home seeing it worked. It was amazing. Now his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, that was his former occupation. He said, uh, isn't this the blind guy? What's going on? Excuse me while I paraphrase, but you have the correct version in front of you. Isn't this the blind guy? He used to sit back. And some of the, yeah, it is. No, he just looks like him. And then the blind man says, yep, that's me. That's me. I'm the man. How old? What happened? Well, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed it. Then I could see. So where is this man, Jesus? Uh, I don't know. Act. Isn't this the same man who used to sit in bed? I mean, people are just marveling. This is amazing. Can you imagine this happening? Act 2, the Pharisees investigate the healing. So, they brought the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Now, there was a problem with this healing, at least for the Pharisees. There was no problem for the man who had been born blind. He was celebrating. All his friends and neighbors were amazed, but there was a problem. Why? Because this was the Sabbath day, the day you weren't supposed to do any work. And Jesus technically had done work by making mud and putting it in someone's eyes. He had technically been working by healing someone. Remember we ran into a similar problem recently where Jesus healed a man by the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath? What's with this breaking the rules? What is Jesus doing? There's six days the rest of the week where he can do this healing shtick. Why does he have to violate the rules of the Sabbath? Because he's deliberately challenging the religious system of the day that had put people into such bondage and rule-keeping. Rule-keeping is a way of gaining God's approval. 
Jesus came to blow up those rules. He did not come to violate the Ten Commandments or destroy God's good commands, but he came to destroy the man-made structure of religion that was forcing people to jump through hoops to gain approval with God. Jesus hates He hates human self-effort. He hates our efforts to make ourselves look good in front of other people and God. He hates it because it feeds into human pride and selfishness. And if you've got pride and selfishness in your own accomplishments, there is no room for Jesus in there. It's better to get that out of you. It doesn't mean you have to admit you're not the person you just need to see reading for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? You have tremendous value, and Jesus is interested in a relationship with you, but you can't have that self-sufficient attitude and a, a friendship with Jesus at the same time. They're just too much of them. So, Jesus heals on the Sabbath, which means big trouble. Big trouble in Jerusalem. So the, the Pharisees said, well, well, what happened? How did you get your sight? Well, he put blood in my eyes, and they washed, and now I see. This man isn't from God, because he breaks the Sabbath. But some of the other Pharisees said, well, a sinner can't do miracles like this. They were divided. Now, it's interesting that the Pharisees were divided, because we know already a guy named Nicodemus had come in the middle of the night to interview Jesus, trying to figure out What's going on? What is Jesus all about? So Nicodemus and a couple of other Pharisees, I think, were very sympathetic to what Jesus was doing. So the Pharisees couldn't quite figure out exactly what Jesus was about, what his mission was. And he turned again to the blind man, the, the blind man, well, what have you got to say about this? Like, you're the one whose eyes he opened. Well, the man says, blind man, this guy's a prophet. Only a prophet could do something like this. Well, they still didn't believe him, so they bring in his parents. They don't believe the blind guy, formerly blind guy, so they bring his parents in front of this informal tribunal, and they interrogate him. Say, "What happened? Was this was this guy born blind?" Well, yeah, he was. Um, but we don't know any. I don't know. We weren't there. We don't know how we can see or open his eyes. We, you know, ask him. He can speak. He's old enough. He's of, he's of legal age. You ask him. The parents back, back right out of the conversation. Now you would think a mom and dad whose son had never been able to see all of a sudden he'd see. If it was me, I would be leaping and dancing and carrying on and celebrating and having a huge party and looking into my son's eyes. And, and it should have been a time for celebration. But these poor people were so intimidated by these religious bullies because they were threatening, man, if you admit that Jesus is the Messiah, you're out of the synagogue, you are out, you are banned, you are out, it might even cost you your job, your livelihood. All this pressure, this religious bullying that was going on, they were too intimidated. They said, well, um, I don't know, why don't you ask him? He will want to about it. So they go back to the man who's probably blind. Who again tells them the story, and they say, Now give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. And the man says, Look, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I know that I used to be blind, but now I see. Like, you get it? 
so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now some Pharisees were there. They're always spying on They're always working. The Pharisees were always creeping on Jesus. This is pre-Facebook. But they, they just spent their time following him around, trying to catch something, catch him doing something wrong, which was quite frequent because he was a very intentional ruler. He didn't break God's rules. Jesus never broke God's rules. He never sinned. But he loved breaking the man-made religious rules. Why? Not just to irritate the Pharisees, although I think he probably got a little tired of that. But I think he did it to provoke them and to wake them up because these men have literally been able to physically see since they were blind, but they were totally spiritually blind to reality. They were willfully blind. And that's why I said at the beginning of the sermon, people only see what they want to see. So after he makes this statement, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see, those who see will become blind, his Pharisees that have been eavesdropping and lurking around, creeping on him, said, what? Are we blind too? They were smart enough to pick up a knife on him. And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Basically saying, guys, if you don't recognize what who I am, you totally miss there is nothing more tragic than someone looking at Jesus and not getting it. The tragedy in this story, I mean, it was really sad that this man had been blind for so long. It was great that he was healed. It was great that his, I'm sure his parents went home and celebrated in secret. But these religious bullies, the Pharisees, were so caught up in their man-made system of pleasing God that just reinforced their pride and independence from God. They were so trapped in their legalism, so trapped in their religion, so trapped in their performance, they totally missed who Jesus was. And some people are still trapped in that performance trap. They think they have to do certain things to please God, and on that basis of performance, that's how God will accept them. That is so sad. It's so sad. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 that the body we save is blind in the minds of people who don't believe, so they just can't see. So when we think of those, I love the way Miriam had us pray today. We even experimented with that in our home too. Just as we pray, we just say someone's name and just pray in our spirit for everything that God could do with that person. I'm sure that some of those names that we're praying for, we're asking God, open their eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. We want to understand Jesus. That's one of the best prayers that you can pray for someone. I don't know if some of us are struggling with really seeing Jesus 
for who he is. Because what I've learned in life is people generally only see what they want to see. If you want Jesus to reinforce your prejudices, I guess you can look at things that way. If you want Jesus to, to reinforce your performance complex, you know, and say, well, Jesus, look what I did for you today. Jesus, those other people aren't working hard enough for you, but look what I did for you today. Or you might want to do that. We need to be in control. We need to justify ourselves. Legalism, performance issues. We're not into that here. simply come to Jesus and say, thank you for loving me, thank you for your grace and truth. I need you in my life. I need you to forgive me and heal me and give me strength every day to follow you and have that kind of humble, open heart so that we can accept what he's got for us. Once we're full of that, once we're full of God's unconditional favor externals and we see with the eyes of our heart, we see into people and, and if God will give us encouraging words and, and concrete ways of blessing and loving them, which is transforming their lives. So my prayer for us today is that God will open our eyes at that close we see him. That we really see Jesus. That we will connect. I used to think I had a confession to make. I used to think just a little bit cheesy. I heard it overdone so many times I couldn't take, I kind of took it for granted. But this morning, I thought, wow, what a bang-on song to choose for this topic because we do want to see Jesus. We want to see him for who he is. We want to experience him. That's my hunger. That's what my craving is for. Is that we would see Jesus and experience him and realize who he really is. So that's what Stomach growling a little bit, um, but now we're going to get distracted. It's really funny when you're sitting at church and you hear someone's stomach go, Yeah, pastor's taking it. Our Lord willing, we'll have something to eat today if that's what it is. But I'm really praying that God will stir up spiritual hunger in us so that we can really encounter Jesus the way He wants to reveal Himself. Jesus, we confess sometimes that we have been short-sighted, that in our view of you, we want you to, um, we try to turn you into a cosmic vending machine. We want you just to, to fix things without really changing us. Lord, for those of us who are stuck in the performance track of man-made religion, I pray you would set us free that we can experience your grace and your love firsthand. Father, invite your Holy Spirit to come and minister to people today. Help us to watch for you during this Advent season and anticipate what you're going to do in our lives, 
through lives of the people around us. So we pray these things confidently today. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.